Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading sustainability thinkers and practitioners, scientists, economists, NGOs, business leaders and investors. We discuss the sustainability imperative, the key challenges, the latest thinking, and what's working in sustainability, resilience and regeneration. If you would like a transcript of this episode, or indeed any earlier episode, please email me at fergal at the sustainabilityagenda.com. Philippe de Scola is a French anthropologist with a reputation as one of the most important anthropologists working today. He held the Chair of Anthropology of Nature at the Collège de France between 2000 and 2019, is a Fellow of the British Academy and a foreign member of the American Academy of Arts. His most recent book, Beyond Nature and Culture, has been hugely influential, exploring the ways in which different societies have thought about their relationship with nature over time. So thank you very much, Philippe, for joining me today on the Sustainability Agenda podcast. It's a pleasure, Fergo. I'm very much looking forward to talking to you. I'm still reading your wonderful and uh, uh, rich uh, Beyond Nature and Culture. Uh, I'm not sure how, how much we'll be able to go into that. It's a, a very large body of work, uh, clearly bringing together your research over many decades, but hopefully some of the, some of the key ideas. But maybe just uh, could you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and, and I guess your current work focus, Philippe. Very well. Uh, I am a, an anthropologist, a social anthropologist, and I started my career uh, by uh, studying a native group of uh, Amerindians in the upper Amazon called the Achuar. My, uh, that was in, in the mid-70s. And the objective of this um, uh, investigation was to uh, try to make some sense of the way they were as I, as, as I phrased it at the time, they were, uh, the way they were socializing nature. That is the way that the technical and symbolic uh, uh, mediums they were using in order to get, get along with their um, environment. And I spent about uh, a little bit near three years there doing field work with my wife. And... Uh, I discovered that the, uh, the basic idea I was pursuing initially was wrong in the sense that there was not uh, a society that was separate from the, the, its environment, uh, trying to deal with it and to, to think it, to uh, name it, to uh, uh, exploit it. But in fact, the, the, the way they, that the Achuaria uh, used their milieu um, was uh, uh, they, they thought about it as, as a sort of personal interaction with many non-humans. Um, these non-humans were, of course, uh, animals and plants, uh, but also spirits, and the spirits, of course, of the animals and of the plants. And the, this interaction to took place in different settings. Uh, uh, they, they, for instance, people would sing songs to the soul of the plants uh, and to the soul of the animals to try to influence them, as they would also with humans. 
they would dream of uh, plants and animals that came under uh, uh, a human form in their dreams and uh, talk with them so that there was not a, a world of nature uh, as a sort of massive entity with which uh, humans were dealing, but a series of daily interactions uh, between uh, humans and non-humans. And so uh, uh, there were a, a number of technical reasons also for that in the sense that the kind of work that I did and that sort some of my colleagues did in uh, Amazonia uh, over the past 30 years has shown that uh, through their techniques, their uh, techniques of cultivation, slash and burn uh, cultivation, uh, the Amerindians over the, uh, approximately 10,000 years, when they started domesticating plants, uh, had profoundly transformed the forest in the sense that the they the 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 by transplanting both but well they cultivate domesticated plants in the in their gardens in, in a number of them over 30 or 40 of them plants that were for the major part domesticated in amazonia with many varieties and but they also transplant plants from the forest and this process, as it is renewed over the, 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 the years, the decades, the centuries, the millennia, as, as a result, profoundly transformed the uh, composition, the floral composition of the Amazonian forest. In, the sense, in that sense, uh, the Amazonian forest is an anthropogenic forest in many respects, most of it. And so, of course, there was no idea uh, for for the for the Achua and for all the Amazonian people, that the forest is a piece is a massive piece of nature, as uh, one might experience when one arrives in uh, in Amazonia. But it's 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 it was a sort of macro garden, uh, which in fact uh, was uh, there was no uh, real uh, separation between the gardens. And the forest. There were both. There were micro gardens and macro gardens. Yes. Yes. Now it's interesting because um, now there are many ways that people look at because uh, you you've been talking and and and, and giving talks and, and 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 writing about the Anthropocene and I guess our current uh, ecological crises and people look at this you know in many different ways. Some talk about it primarily in terms of CO2 emissions or, or, or the key role of fossil fuels, maybe consumerism or, you know, the great acceleration. In your work, you're particularly concerned with how, how we relate to nature. This is what you've been talking about uh, your initial work. So is this, in a sense, for you, a, a deeper uh, explanation for where we are today? Yes, I try not to uh, 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 use the word, uh, the relation with nature, precisely because, as I was uh, saying just now, the, uh, one of the results of this uh, investigation uh, uh, in Amazonia was to become aware, that I became aware that nature 
is doesn't exist for the Anchua, doesn't exist for Amazonian people, doesn't exist for an, a, a number of other people around the world. Uh, nature is an abstraction. Nature as a sort of massive piece of external uh, 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 life uh, and 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 uh, uh, inorganic uh, matter uh, separate from humans is a is a is a is a concept that emerged in Europe uh, uh, some centuries ago, and uh, as a matter of fact, it it it. Uh, uh, defined our relationship to the living world and to our uh, environment, to the milieu, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. While most, uh, all other civilizations uh, around the world, uh, before the spread of modernity, modernity can be defined precisely as uh, our moderns, the people who believe that there is a nature outside there. And so the, this, this is why I don't use the word nature much. I use another word which is not very, uh, 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 perhaps it's not entirely adequate either. It's non-humans, no? So non-humans include uh, everything that is not human. So it's anthropocentric also, but in a less direct way than using the word yes. nature. Yeah. So the, the, to, just to finish the, the, this, this, this um, aspect of my biography, um, uh, when I, when I came back, of course, I set up uh, as, a, as, as a research agenda, uh, trying to understand if nature does not exist or if it exists only for us in the, in the West or for modern people, uh, what are the various ways of uh, interacting with non-humans that can be uh, uh, detected, analyzed and formalized around the world. And this is this has been what I've been doing for the past 30 years. And the result of it is the book you mentioned, Beyond Nature and Culture. So uh, dealing with the present, dealing with uh, uh, the different forms of relationship with uh, non-humans, uh, of course, the hour that is the one that uh, emerged in Europe, uh, let's say, among the elites or the conception that emerged uh, in Europe among the elites in the 18th century uh, as progressively spread uh, elsewhere uh, with the results that the exteriority of what we call nature, that is the living world, no, um, uh, has become uh, 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 such that we, uh, this exteriority uh, for a long time imply that we humans, uh, at least we moderns, uh, did not find that we had a place in nature, or not directly at least, except perhaps in terms of evolution, but not as a, a, a piece of this uh, gigantic machinery, and then that we could exploit, uh, use the resources of non-humans in order to enhance uh, our uh, uh, um, living standards. And this, this is uh, basically uh, what uh, the uh, modern political agenda, starting with the uh, philosophy of the Enlightenment, set forth uh, as a coupling uh, between, on the one hand, uh, 
uh, uh, freedom, emancipation from the old order, uh, and on the other end, uh, mastering uh, uh, the resources or, uh, of um, of the of the earth. And so, these these uh, two objectives of the Enlightenment were pursued under different forms, both by liberalism as well as by uh, socialist uh, uh, thinkers in the 19th century, such as Marx or Proudhon. Or, and uh, uh, until uh, at the end of the 20th century, uh, there was, among some people at least, a realization that the two objectives could not be pursued uh, or could not be intertwined or could not be pursued simultaneously because uh, uh, the, the, the resources of the earth uh, are not uh, infinite. And so the emancipation process must be um, uh, predicated on something else than the, uh, the expansion of what the Marxists used to call the productive forces. So this is the problem we are facing uh, right now. It is uh, not only a question of sustainability, but a question of transforming the objectives of, of our uh, collective, uh, uh, of, of the conception we have of what it is to be together uh, in, the, in the common house uh, that is the earth. And it is a very, very uh, difficult uh, situation we have to uh, confront because none of the concepts that we've been using for the past two centuries is really adequate. Uh, to uh, confront this situation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's very interesting. So, so this, I guess, the conception of the human-non-human relationship, uh, which which you talk about and, and, and characterize, I, I guess, as naturalism. Um, and and in your work, you you show that it's it's one amongst a, a number of I guess what you call ontologies or ways of of thinking of, about this relationship. Um, and uh, so, I mean, do you believe this uh, is obviously a collection of different views or connected ideas, but this idea of, of uh, nature as a resource is a, an essential part of that idea and a kind of instrumental logic around that. Um, I guess on the, on the other hand, we, we have, uh, well, reaped, you might say, tremendous benefits uh, economically, uh, socially, from 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 this uh, way of seeing things, um, but um, what you're saying is, is, is I guess, are, are you saying as well that 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 it 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 has limitations, and many of the problems we're facing today are arise out of that. Yes, can can I uh, make a small comment, a parenthesis, the difference between an ontology and a worldview, because uh, it's not always very clear. I use the word ontology uh, in a very specific sense. Uh, that is, the, an ontology is a system, uh, is the furniture of the world in a way. But each social group, each person in fact, has a different furniture uh, or, or, or apprehend the world with a different furniture than other. Uh, to give you uh, uh, an example, uh, 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 an Achuar hunter in Amazonia 
uh, has been used through his educations, through the stories he heard, to detect in his uh, environment, in his surroundings, um, spirits. Uh, because uh, a noise at certain time, when there is no cause for a noise, or a sudden gust of wind, or whatever, uh, will, uh, uh, according to what is being used to uh, uh, learn as an interpretation of certain events, will lead them to uh, uh, to uh, detect in the surrounding a spirit. Uh, a, a scientist, a physicist at the uh, uh, large uh, Gliden, uh in in the in the CERN in Geneva, uh, uh, if he if he comes to an Amazonian uh, household, has not been trained to detect uh, spirits. Has been trained to detect uh, traces through very complex apparatus that will uh, eventually lead him to believe that there is a boson of Higgs. Uh, 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 that that is uh, uh, that has been precisely de detected by his uh, by his machine. So um, and that's why coming to the the CERN uh, uh, in in Geneva uh, will not detect a, 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 a particle uh, because his 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 detection devices are different. So it's a question of being attuned to certain aspects of the world because of your education. So of course, the furniture differs according to a world in which you have spirits and the world in which you have elementary particles. So these are ontologies. Ontologies is a system of furniture of the world, which, you are, which pieces of furniture, which you are used to detect, which you are trained to detect, according to your uh, education. So it's not a worldview, because a worldview would be, uh, in fact, or, uh, traditionally, uh, a worldview, especially when uh, the expression is used about non-modern people, uh, is, in fact, the world as it is deployed and understood uh, by the modern sciences, of which only the moderns have a specific uh, true idea because of the scientific uh, instruments they use to describe this world, while all the others only have an approximate view precisely of this world. This is, well, the parenthesis to say why I use the word ontology rather than uh, a world vision. Now, this, this uh, it's becoming obvious that what is being called more and more often uh, uh, the Anthropocene, that is, although it's not been uh, uh, officially uh, yes. accepted yes. Uh, by, uh, by, by uh, the, uh, the International uh, Commission of Geology, uh, nevertheless, what is being more and more often called the Anthropocene, that is, uh, uh, a, a world in which the humans uh, define, it can be defined as a natural force precisely, um, is not the precisely or is the result of the anthropos, of, of humans in general. It is the, the, the in particular, uh, the, the uh, global warming, that is the massive emission 
of, of CO2 uh, is the product of a system rather than of man or humans as uh, an abstraction also. The achwar of many of the other non-modern people uh, with whom, <coughs> sorry, I'm familiar, uh, uh, have a very low emission of CO2 in the atmosphere, so cannot be held responsible for the uh, current situation. So it's a system. And the system precisely, so it started with the Industrial Revolution. There are debates as when the, the, the Anthropocene started, uh, as a matter of fact, whether it's at the beginning of the uh, Industrial Revolution, whether it's later, uh, whether it's linked to, for instance, the, uh, uh, the, the use of atomic energy, etc., etc. But this is not really relevant. I think it's important to to see that the beginning of a transformation uh, in, the, in the Earth system began with the Industrial Revolution and began then with uh, the, the uh, development of, uh, of a system of production, uh, capitalism, uh, which is uh, the, 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 the main engine for this uh, transformation. So, uh, the the, the, the the cause of the Anthropocene and the cause of global warming is a specific system. And I think that the idea of sustainability is, um, is a, 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 a sort of, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a light cure for, for a, a great illness, no? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't face, uh, uh, in French, we say it's a côté on the jambe de bois. It's, it's, it's a dressing on a, on a wooden leg, so it doesn't cure anything. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> it's, but it sounds from what you're saying that it's, it's more than capitalism, though. I mean, capitalism, as you say, is the economic system associated with, you know, the Industrial Revolution and maybe even some Cartesian ideas, you know, evolving as well. So so just, would just ch changing capitalism or making capitalism a bit more friendly, um, you know, and a bit more, with a bit more, a bit better regulation, would that help? Or are you thinking that, the, you know, that you need to look deeper into the ontologies, the underlying uh, ontologies that, that that give rise to you know uh, these systems, if you can say that in some sense, give rise to. I mean, it, it's probably not the right way of framing it. I think it's it's a it's it's a two uh, uh, it's a two phase uh, development. Uh, the initial phase is the emergence of what I call naturalism, and this is a long process. In fact, it started. Uh, with the uh, 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 the the uh, with the the ancient Greek, you no, know, the idea that there is a, a, a phusis, that is, there is a something specific in some uh, living beings, in living beings, in fact, that uh, makes them uh, uh, what they are, and this was developed. Uh, I, I won't enter into the detail of the uh, Greek philosophy, but in particular by Aristotle. Uh, with the idea that, uh, but both both philosophers and uh, medical doctors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, 
became uh, the bearers of uh, the idea that there were regular phenomena in the world that were not the product of the whims of the gods uh, or of the uh, uh, action of humans, but were phenomena that developed by themselves. So this was an idea that uh, is uh, very ancient, but is not the idea of nature as we knew it afterwards. And then of course, uh, Christianity uh, uh, was an important aspect in this uh, purification of the idea of nature in the sense that it implied uh, a difference between the uh, the creator and the creation with the mediating uh, uh, role uh, given to uh, humans. And the what we call the scientific revolution in the uh, 17th century is in fact the, the, the uh, epistemological formalization of a new conception of what we call nature, that is a totality which is exterior to humans with uh, regularities that can be uh, analyzed and uh, 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 investigated. Uh, also a resource uh, to be uh, exploited by technique and uh, uh, an intellectual resource also uh, for uh, the symbolization of uh, social life. Uh, nature is a very uh, great resource in order to uh, uh, foster the idea that some uh, behavior, for instance, are normal and others are not normal, natural behavior or unnatural behavior. So nature functioned also in, uh, uh, an, in an, uh, as an ethical uh, uh, buttress for produ the production of norms. So this, this aspect uh, meant that with a, a, a purification process that took different stages, a few centuries ago, this idea that there was a world of nature and there was a world of humans uh, became more or less entrenched uh, among, uh, uh, as I say again, the elites, because that was not the idea of uh, peasants uh, in Europe, in, uh, uh, um, uh, but more or less what was taught uh, in, the, in the universities, in the, in the, in the high schools, etc., etc. And uh, this uh, separation rendered natural the idea among both the, uh, the liberals, the, the physiocrats, uh, uh, all persuasions of economic uh, thinkers, uh, in the 18th century, that here was a, 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 a resource, a vast resource that could be exploited in order to uh, uh, foster, in order to uh, uh, bring about the emancipation uh, of, uh, uh, well, at least in Europe, uh, of uh, uh, the, 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 the masses, or at least the elites perhaps in the, to begin with, uh, the bourgeois elites uh, from an old order which was unjust. And 
So this, this process uh, 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 gave rise uh, in a way to um, uh, the transition from uh, mercantile capitalism to industrial capitalism uh, uh, in, the, in the beginning with the industrial revolution. And the, the, uh, the, this uh, movement, in fact, uh, what I call capitalism in this, uh, in, this, in this context is something which is realized as well uh, uh, by what were called the socialist uh, states in the, in, the, in, the, in the 20th century, and which is obvious, for instance, in the uh, current uh, China, that is uh, development of the uh, uh, growth, no? It's, it's, well, the, the economic term for that is growth, no? Yes. Uh, a, a development of uh, the uh, uh, capacity for extracting uh, 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 goods from uh, the earth um, in such a way that um, uh, it could uh, buttress of the uh, better living standards or produce better living standards and buttress the uh, emancipation of, uh, of the masses, uh, both in industrial capitalism in, in, in capitalist countries, but also in socialist countries. In, in that respect, this idea was and is still shared by, uh, uh, let's say, liberal economists or liberal economists and uh, the socialist thinkers of the 19th century. And as I said before, uh, this idea, this coupling is, I think, not uh, possible anymore because we know now that uh, the resources, what we call the resources of the earth, are not infinite. And so they can't not be, it's, it's something which is obvious and which has been said many times, they cannot be an infinite growth with finite resources, even with huge transformation in techniques that would uh, yield uh, higher productivity out uh, uh, of uh, more uh, finite resources. So this is this is in fact the um, the, the the wager no? it's, that we have to face uh, now: uh, how to combine this still desirable. Uh, 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 expansion uh, of freedom of the uh, 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 of the of the uh, disappearance of inequalities, both political and economic, at the same time that the system of production that we devised about two centuries ago uh, is not obviously uh, something that can be pursued. Yes, very interesting. And when you talk about uh, the, the dual uh, aspects here, if if the challenge in one sense is to you know reduce fossil fuel consumption, let's say, or or decarbonize, or or, or, or you know reduce CO two emissions, you know these are kind of and and one way you know kinds of things we can get our head around and frame them. You know, uh, alternatives to capitalism already uh, a very you know a, a very bigger kettle of fish altogether. Uh, when we get to questions like how we conceptualize a human-non-human relationship, um, 
how, how do ontologies change? That's a good question. Uh, they don't change easily. Uh, they, 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 ontologies such as I've, as I have defined them are, uh, are models, no? So naturalism, uh, although it's based on the interpretation of, let's say, the, 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 the philosophy and the epistemology of the moderns is a general model. All the others also, uh, to, to give an idea of the contrast between what I call naturalism and then other ontology, this idea in me was, uh, was uh, uh, stirred by the, 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 the precisely what I described at the beginning of the way the Achuar dealt with non-humans. I've called that animism. It's, it's, it's a concept that is very uh, classical in anthropology. It, has, it was uh, created uh, uh, in, in, at the end of the 19th century. Uh, I use it in a very specific sense. Uh, animism precisely was very, uh, 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 or what covers what I call animism was very obvious uh, to me uh, when I was doing fieldwork because it was exactly the reverse of how I'd come to understand the relation between uh, 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 nature and society uh, in my own uh, bringing in as, 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 as a Frenchman uh, and uh, as an initial uh, student of philosophy. Um, the animism is the, idea, is the, the principle that uh, what you detect uh, in your surroundings precisely as I said, are a, a number of subjectivities, of interiority, the fact that uh, non-humans uh, seem to be uh, intent on doing things uh, have an intentionality, uh, and it's, uh, we translate uh, these uh, by saying they have souls, no? So uh, when the Achuars say they have souls, they say they have they have the same kind of heart as we have, which allows them uh, to behave like persons. So this is an aspect of animism, but there's another aspect of animism. It's the idea that each being, uh, each form of life, um, is uh, uh, because of its physical uh, uh, organization, of his uh, ethogram, uh, of his uh, biological tools, let's say, that his way of uh, manners of locomotion, of uh, of alimenting, of uh, of getting food, etc., uh, etc., et uh, as a world uh, of its own, in the sense that uh, the the world for each form of life is what is rendered possible by its physical abilities. So there are many natures in that respect. Uh, each form of life, if you wish, has a nature of its own. And so, uh, and uh, a nature of its own because biologically it is different from other uh, uh, forms of life, but at the same time, a nature, because what he needs to develop in the world uh, is a specific portion of the world, which is uh, his own nature. So this is exactly the reverse 
of what I call naturalism. And this is why naturalism, be, for me, uh, 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 became uh, obvious as a very as an exotic uh, uh, way uh, to uh, detect regularities in the world. Because in naturalism, the idea is the reverse, in the sense that, of course, uh, humans are animals and are subjected uh, to uh, all the regularities and the forces uh, of uh, nature. Uh, while, uh, by contrast with other forms of life, they, have, uh, they are the only uh, uh, beings to have a specific uh, interiority, a subjectivity, a soul, a mind, uh, uh, linguistic abilities, uh, capacity uh, for symbolism, etc., etc. So it was exactly the, the, the reverse, no? And uh, so uh, uh, it's, of course, uh, 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 ludicrous to think that we could revert uh, to animism as an alternative yeah. to uh, naturalism or to other ontologies which I've also described, which are common uh, elsewhere and which were common in our own past before naturalism particularly one which I call analogism, which was, of course, very, uh, uh, um, which was the basic uh, uh, ontology in Europe until the Renaissance and, uh, of course, during the Middle Ages and before, which is the idea that the world is composed of uh, uh, many states, beings, uh, elements, uh, whatever, that have to be uh, organized according to principles of correspondence, no? such as the correspondence between the macrocosm and the microcosm, that is between uh, man as a complex uh, being and uh, elements of the world of the cosmos. And well, many, many other forms of correspondence uh, exist and have been explored. And of course, it's still present among us. If you if you read your horoscope, you behave <laughs> in an analogist way. If you talk to your computer uh, and insult your computer because it doesn't work, or, or you've <laughs> lost your, you be you behave in an animist way because you uh, you you infer, not necessarily consciously that there is some mal malign uh, intentionality behind your uh, machine, no, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, 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 it's not a question of reverting to one or other ontologies, but of transforming, in fact, um, or hybridization of uh, ontologies, uh, which uh, allow, would allow us to give more let's say, a uh, uh, possibility of expression to kinds of inferences that we tend to suppress uh, uh, when dealing with the world. Again, I mean, uh, we, we, we do it constantly. Uh, these alternative inferences, we, we, we use them uh, 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 very commonly, but we never systematize them as an alternative. So the question, but it's it's very difficult to do because these things are done progressively and collectively, uh, and uh, are not uh, couldn't cannot be imposed to anyone. 
But I see signs that they are the ways of thinking, but also in ways of organizing. Uh, uh, there is in France um, um, uh, a movement uh, of which you may have heard, which is called uh, ZAD, yeah. Zona Defense. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be defended. Yeah. And these are young people who, in reaction to um, a major project of development, uh, one of the better known is one in Western France uh, for a mega uh, airport. It was near Nantes. Notre Dame des Landes, yeah. exactly. And this mega airport was, uh, uh, the idea started in, in the 1960s, and it was to be the, the, the Frankfurt of Western Europe, no? um, yeah, the Frankfurt airport. Um, of, of course, uh, this, uh, uh, the, the, the zone where it was to be uh, uh, constructed um, is a zone with, um, uh, it's a wetland, it's, uh, um, and it was protected in theory. And so this uh, enraged uh, many of the people who are living there, and they were, of course, uh, peasants, uh, uh, it's not a very rich uh, environment. Um, there were small peasants, and they were uh, uh, joined by a number of uh, young people, mainly urban people, uh, who initially fought against this uh, um, sort of megalomaniac uh, project. But progressively, these young people, uh, over the years, uh, identified themselves profoundly uh, with the, uh, uh, the, the, the local uh, milieu and uh, in, part, in, in particular with its non-human inhabitants. And since this place has not been developed precisely uh, since the 60s because of the project of the, uh, the mega airport, uh, it has in fact reverted to a very uh, high level of biodiversity, which contrasts with the usual low level of biodiversity, which is provoked by uh, 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 industrial agriculture. And so that, so this, uh, what the situation is now is that the project of airport has been uh, uh, abandoned and uh, uh, a community of uh, people which were which is composed both of the original inhabitants and uh, these uh, younger people coming from all over France, has tried to build a way of living in this environment with a profound identification with non-humans uh, by uh, 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 shunning um, the um, well, productivism, uh, uh, the uh, 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 individual property, uh, it, it's all collective land, etc., uh, etc. Et so this, there is a, a sort of drive among uh, uh, people uh, in this generation uh, because the, the Notre Dame des Landes is not the only case. There are other cases of that uh, elsewhere uh, in France and in other parts of Europe. Uh, by people who try to experiment uh, 
a form of social life which is different from the one in which they've been uh, brought up. Yes. And it's interesting in the sense that uh, as an anthropologist, I see uh, in these uh, in these experiments uh, uh, elements of the of the organization uh, of collectives yes. in other parts of the world, in non-modern parts of the yes. world. It's, yeah, it's very interesting you, you, you mentioned that. And uh, I did an interview with uh, Dr. Anne Paulina, who she's an indigenous uh, Australian and Nikina uh, traditional custodian of, of the um, Marchawara River um, in, in Australia. Oh. And she's uh, uh, also, uh, uh, she she teaches about first law, the Aboriginal uh, Aboriginal people's you know customary laws governing the rules for living with in existence with nature and um, you know she's she, she's I think she's called a Yimar Yimar Dwara Marnan, but she's a woman who belongs to the river. And I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I know in another talk you gave there, there were two other ideas that I, I'd love to. Uh, I'm mindful of the time, but I'd love to get your thoughts. One one is. Uh, linked to this idea, which I guess is the idea of uh, uh, rights of nature, and you know this kind of uh, distinction between the you know the moral you know cognitive distinction between humans and non-humans, and the kind of laws that come out of that, and 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 this evolving uh, it seems quite a bit of momentum now. This kind of rights of nature, so that, that would be one area: the rights of nature, which seems you know rivers and 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 particular and animals and so forth as well. Um, and also the question of the commons, you know, uh, I, I'd, I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on, on those two areas, Philippe, if, 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 if you're able. Yes, of course. Um, I, 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 I think that rights of nature is, is, is a, a contradiction in terms, in the sense that uh, nature, uh, as I said at the beginning, is a philosophical abstraction. So you can't give rights to a philosophical abstraction. Of course, you could say that the human person is also a philosophical abstraction, but it's less of a philosophical abstraction because it's represented in any human that live on the surface of the earth. But nature as it is, is not definable easily. So what I uh, favor instead of rights of nature is the rights of, uh, uh, of milieu, no? That is, uh, of of uh, part of ecosystems, if you wish, uh, and the difference is 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 um, is, is is easy to uh, to um, uh, pinpoint, um, uh, including by uh, taking examples. Um, you know, probably that uh, Ecuador, where I did my fieldwork precisely in the in the Amazonian part of Ecuador was the first country uh, to uh, declare in its constitution a few years ago uh, that nature has rights. But these rights cannot be enforced. They cannot be enforced again because nature is an abstraction. And uh, the, 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 uh, the result is, I know Ecuador quite well, uh, is and I've been back uh, with the uh, Achuar a number of times, including uh, uh, two years ago. Uh, the result is that, in fact, the Amazonian part of Ecuador has been sold uh, to a number of extractive companies, uh, oil and mining companies. Um, and so nature, in that sense, is very helpless in defending itself. 
So giving rights to nature as such, I think, is uh, is 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 a, is a, um, uh, a dead end. Uh, what I've uh, well, and what about giving rights to um, certain species, non-human species? This also has been uh, 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 some people have pleaded for that. Uh, in particular, well, the person who is most most um, uh, well known is uh, Peter Singer. You know the idea, uh, which was uh, pushed by the Great Ape Project, that is to give rights to certain uh, animal species that have some uh, similarities with humans in terms of cognition and sensibility. So I, this is a great progress of ethology in the past 30, 20, 30 years precisely, is, is precisely blurring the difference between some uh, animal uh, species and the human uh, animal species. Um, but this would uh, in fact uh, revert to the um, basic uh, individualism that has been that has accompanied the since the uh, 18th century, let's say, uh, the political uh, development of the Enlightenment. That is the idea that it's to uh, 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 that the, the that, and this is something which I will talk also about uh, uh, um, regarding the Commons. Uh, the fact that uh, which has this that that has been uh, defined in political philosophy by uh, Macpherson in particular as possessive individualism. So the fact that the right of humans to uh, appropriate and transform nature is because they own their own body, you know? and that in in that respect they can uh, enter into relation with one another as small holders. Uh, uh, owners of their own body, and uh, in that in that respect, owner also of what they can put their hand on. Um, this is so giving a, a specific rights to specific species would be, uh, in fact, uh, expanding this form of individualism to a few species, you know? uh, uh, admitting them in the in the club uh, of of yes. of humans, no. So why do I favor <laughs> giving rights to, let's say, ecosystems? It's because it reverts precisely this principle of appropriation by uh, individuals or collectives in the sense that what is what has a, a, a moral personality or legal personality is, uh, is an ecosystem uh, which is the basis for the rights of the beings that occupy this ecosystem for being what they are, be they humans or non-humans. And there is a movement in that direction, which is also extremely interesting. Uh, the case, which is perhaps uh, better known, is the one of the river Wanganui in New Zealand, which through the, the, the uh, uh, mobilization of the Maori people who live on the, on the banks of this river, uh, uh, led the new uh, uh, the, the, the um, uh, parliament of uh, New Zealand uh, to grant uh, legal personality to the river. So, in that sense, all the habitants, humans and non-humans, of this river are, uh, in fact, uh, benefit from some rights by the fact that they contribute 
to the existence of this river and to the uh, uh, existence in a good state, let's say, in a healthy state of this uh, river. There are other examples in other parts of the world, more or less successful, but I think this is an interesting idea precisely to revert, and this is why we can go back now to the commons, to revert this process which has, uh, which has begun in, in, in the United Kingdom uh, at the end of the Middle Ages uh, with the enclosures of the pro progressive annexation, appropriation of the commons uh, um, and transformation of the commons, initially, of course, pieces of land, forests, uh, uh, pastures, etc., into uh, 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 um, private uh, uh, property. And this process of uh, appropriation has gone on uh, endlessly uh, since this period and has expanded towards many other forms of commons. It's not only uh, land, but also knowledge, uh, uh, the, the, as, as an anthropologist, I'm sensible to uh, what is called bioprospecting uh, in some parts of the world where uh, um, ethno, ethnobotanical research is carrying down, not for the sake of knowing more about the way people uh, deal with plants, but for uh, extracting information about how people uh, deal with certain illnesses uh, with uh, certain plants and then extracting the molecule, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, this, this appropriation uh, uh, knowledge uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of water, uh, of, uh, uh, well, any form of collective good uh, has been uh, uh, relentlessly going on uh, for the past uh, centuries and giving rights to uh, something which would be a sort of incarnation of the commons, an ecosystem, uh, would revert uh, this uh, process. So I see the future as a dissemination of these experiences of different kinds in different parts of the world that would render progressively uh, uh, an unethical, an, an, uh, unpractical perhaps, uh, the, the relentless appropriation of uh, parts of uh, um, uh, milieu of life uh, and uh, could perhaps trigger uh, a transformation in the way we see our relations with uh, non-human uh, organisms. Very interesting, very, very interesting. Let's take a brief break to hear about an organization we support. Global Witness, a pioneering campaigning NGO that exposes the environmental and human rights abuses by some of the world's biggest companies and most powerful political figures. For 25 years, they've campaigned against the exploitation of the Earth's natural resources, the destruction of indigenous peoples, and corruption that has siphoned billions of dollars from the poorest countries. Global Witness doesn't just expose the abuse of power, it works to transform the systems that allow this abuse to flourish unchecked. Find out more at globalwitness.org. And now we're back to today's episode.
How does the urgency of our uh, immediate situation change things? How does, you know, uh, existential risks associated with climate change, with global warming, where, you know, there are various tipping points, various systems at, at critical points. And uh, certainly we hear more and more scientific voices and, and, and other voices saying we need to change and we need to change now. And this is the decade and these next three years. Um, because many of these ideas and, and, and what you're talking about, which are so inspiring, they kind of unfold in time. And, you know, inherent in, in some of the ways in which the questions are framed is this kind of, uh, uh, so the, the instrumental, uh, but, but, but the, the, you know, the idea that we, we can change and manage things. I mean, geoengineering, perhaps the most extreme of those, you know, but that, that, that uh, humans have the agency, have the, the power to, to, you know, to change things. And we just need to decide to do it. And, and, you know, uh, I mean, I'm simplifying grossly, but, you know, there is this growing urgency, which, which, you know, I mean, someone like Naomi Klein talks about the, the dangers when, when, you know, when we're framed with these, 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 these tremendous crises and, and, and what happens politically, the power that can get taken. I'm just wondering uh, a bit of a big question just at the end to, to get a sense of how, how you feel the, 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 the genuine urgency of, of, of the moment uh, impinges on, on some of the things we've talked about. Well, the, the, the magnitude of the crisis is difficult to uh, envision for many people because we cannot imagine ourselves living in a world with uh, four degrees uh, uh, Celsius uh, warmer than now, uh, which means that some parts of the world would be non-habitable. Uh, uh, it's very difficult when, to, to uh, uh, imagine that. So scientists are, 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 are um, explaining this uh, to the general public, but the general public uh, seems to be a bit reluctant to imagine uh, what it would be. And of course, there are some uh, freak events like the uh, like the, the heat wave in uh, in uh, in uh, British Columbia. Uh, a few a few days ago, uh, in a place where they, in this period of the year, it's 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 warm but never very warm, and it's very it's always very wet, etc., etc. So people just realize, oh, in Australia with the mega fires, etc., etc., people realize that in fact it could happen, and it, it the consequences would be uh, horrendous. But it's a series of shocks like that, uh, which. Uh, uh, shock people into uh, uh, imagining because it's 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 a process of imagination it's very difficult to uh, uh, of course we know uh, we scientists we know exactly what is going not exactly but on the whole what what is going to happen which part of the world uh, will suffer which kind of effect with what kind of results etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's difficult but i i i'm if not optimistic i think what has happened in the past uh, years, in the past few years, is that the younger people have become uh, more and more conscious of what's going on. And this is highly surprising because the, the preceding generation uh, didn't give a damn uh, 
<clears throat> and the people who are now between 15 and, and 24, uh, many of, 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 of them uh, whom I've met are uh, extremely preoccupied and are uh, really angry at uh, preceding generations for not taking the measures uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, try to counteract uh, the, uh, in particular, global warming, but also the, uh, the, the massive extension of species. So um, these people will become citizens and will become active and, uh, in, the, in the affairs of the world. And I hope they will maintain this attitude uh, and uh, be more responsible than our generation. One of the things that has shocked me, for instance, is that people of my generation, uh, some of them, uh, at least, uh, have treated a uh, 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 militant like uh, Greta Thunberg uh, with a sort of uh, uh, condescending attitude. You no, know? she's uh, she's a little girl who's who's excited by these problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this attitude, uh, which is very common in people of my generation, uh, infuriates uh, uh, the younger generation. So I think there's a, a potential there for uh, transforming, uh, uh, because it, it's in the, the, our generation, I'm not talking myself because I've been dealing with this kind of problem for the past 40 years, but um, most of the people of my generation cannot see where the problem is. No? Intellectually they see, but they cannot see what the problem is because they've been raised into this system where uh, 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 during the, uh, uh, the post-world de development cycle, uh, where growth has been intense, where uh, the amount of material goods that we had access to in the, in the, de in, in the, in the rich uh, north uh, was uh, enormous. And so they, they can't see where the problem is. So I have a certain optimism into the capacity for action of the younger generation. Yes, yes. What's next for you, Philippe? Are you, are you working on any particular research or a book or, or, or particular ideas at the moment? I have a book which is to be published in, the, in September uh, on images. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, in fact, an, an extension of the book I wrote on the ontologies of the ways of perceiving humans and non-humans, and uh, how does this work in images? What do images tell us about how people detect uh, things or not uh, detect uh, things in their immediate uh, surroundings? So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a major uh, uh, program uh, which is based on the interpretation of images and not on the interpretation of texts or of discourses. Very interesting. Very interesting. I wish you the very best of success with your new book, and uh, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your research, your ideas, and 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 finally your your inspiration and an optimism, Philippe. Thank you, Fergal, for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode, we think you will enjoy Jeremy Lent's new book, The Web of Meaning, Integrating Science and Traditional Wisdom to Find Our Place in the Universe. Jeremy sees the multiple crises we are facing as symptoms of an underlying worldview of disconnection that has passed its expiration date. 
the web of meaning provides an intellectually solid foundation for an alternative worldview of connectedness, weaving together findings from modern science with insights from Buddhism, Taoism, and indigenous knowledge. It offers a coherent, integrated worldview that could enable humanity to thrive sustainably on a flourishing planet. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. It would be great if you could leave a review and share the podcast on social media. You can sign up at iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.